final week of the Lord's life before his crucifixion is our little series and we're coming to the Lord's Supper known by many as the Last Supper and the Upper Room Ministry. There's no way we can cover everything that's contained in that in 25 minutes or so. But let's take our reading please from Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. And we'll take our reading from verse 12. On the first day of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb was being sacrificed, his disciples said to him, Where do you want us to go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the owner of the house, The teacher says, where is my guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he himself will show you a large upstairs room furnished and ready. Prepare for us there. The disciples left and came to the city, found everything just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, truly I say to you that one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be grieved and to say to him one by one, Surely not I. But he said to them, It is one of the twelve, the one who dips bread with me in the bowl. For the Son of Man is going away just as it is written about him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. While they were eating, he took some bread And after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is being poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine again until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Last week we were considering a meal held in Jesus' honour. This week we're considering a few days later a meal that Jesus has organised that's to honour God and to be something so very precious for his disciples and his followers. It's commonly known as the Last Supper. And while it was the Lord's last supper with his disciples before he would be crucified on the next day. It was the first supper of remembrance that Paul calls the Lord's Supper. And we'll see that a little later. So it was to be a supper of remembrance. We need help to remember. Uh, I'm having that frustrating situation now where the, the mind does not work as it once did. And you go from one room to the next to get something and you can't remember when you get to that room what it was you went there for. Um, So our minds struggle to remember things. I'm thankful for uh, notification reminders. that They're useful if you can remember to put them in to your device in the first place. But if it wasn't for them, it'd be a real struggle. But Jesus here, with the Passover feast, introduces something for his disciples then to remember him by. And we'll look at that together. Notice that Jesus is the one who has made the arrangements. 
He's made arrangements prior to sending Peter and John, as we're told in Luke's account. It was the two disciples, Peter and John, who were sent when they said, where, where shall we go and prepare for you to keep the Passover? And he'd already made arrangements with somebody uh, and they would go to a certain house and there they would be shown the guest room, uh, which was a room that could be rented and they would be shown the place and it was all furnished. And he says, you then go and get all of the preparations together for the foodstuffs that would be required for the Passover feast. The feast of Passover was that very important annual festival that really kicked off the year of feasts and festivals for the Jews. It was the beginning of the year because it linked back to the Exodus. And you remember that at the time of the Passover in Exodus, which was about 1,500 years before, God had given a command to the people of Israel through Moses that you're to take a lamb on the 10th day and keep it to the 14th day and at twilight then you kill the lamb, take its blood and you put it around your doorposts because I'm coming through the land in judgment and the firstborn will die. But when I see the blood and where I see the blood, I will pass over you. 12 verse 13 of Exodus, Exodus 12 verse 13. When I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will come upon you to destroy you. God providing for his people who would obediently do what God had said and apply the blood would be the means of the salvation of the firstborn in their house. They were no less guilty as sinners than the Egyptians. So they needed the blood. If any of the Egyptians had heeded the message and had put blood around their doors, they would have been saved too. Here's the feast then of the Passover remembered down the years since. There were periods of time in which it wasn't celebrated, but here in the Lord's time it was celebrated, the first of their annual feasts, and they've come up to Jerusalem with the purpose of remembering that great exodus, that great deliverance that God had achieved for his people Israel all those years before. And what would have happened in Jerusalem is that earlier in the afternoon, late evening, at the twilight time, Lambs would have been sacrificed at the temple. And then, because of the way the Jewish day would work, at six o'clock, then they move into the next day. And that's when the Lord would have gathered in the evening for the feast. So you would have had the animal sacrifice in the afternoon, the disciples going to get all of the, uh, this, the bits that were needed, all the foodstuffs, including some lamb. They would go and take the lamb. Now, the Jews didn't eat meat very often. They would eat it normally on festival days and here was one where they would take the blood of not the blood the the roasted lamb and they would eat that as part of the meal to celebrate the passover and the lord sits down and reclines with them we're told here look at the scene that we've been told about by mark matthew's account is very similar to mark because it seems that matthew would follow mark as the earliest writer of the gospel in a lot of what he puts together. Luke's is a little different. He researched it differently at a later time. But notice what we're told here. He says that somebody's going to betray me. With that in his mind. And we're told in another gospel that Jesus knew who was going to betray him. From the moment even when he chose the twelve. No wonder he spent all night in prayer with his father before pronouncing you twelve are going to be mine. He says, one of you is going to betray me. In Luke's account, 
It says the betrayer's hand is on the table here with my hand. It's a, it's a place of intimacy as they're reclining around this table. And that was the case. They would recline with their feet out behind them and so on, thinking about the, the anointing that happened last week at the f- uh, meal in Jesus' honour. Access to the feet was quite easy behind and so on. And they were, they were close in with one another, hands reaching out to, to take of the foodstuffs that were there as they celebrated the Passover And as Luke records it, the hand of the betrayer is on the table here with me. The Lord knows something of what is coming. And then during this feast that commemorates the great exodus and deliverance by God of his people, then Jesus introduces something new. Something that then would continue because he had come to fulfill what the Passover had been an image of, had been a symbol of, all down the centuries, was pointing forward to him who would be the fulfillment of the Passover, the greater deliverance that he would bring about for all people, not just for the Jews, but for all those from all nations who would put their faith and their trust in him because of his work. When Paul's writing his first letter to Corinth, (coughs) as we have it, 1 Corinthians 5, And he's instructing the church to make sure that sin is kept out of their lives and kept out of their their congregation. He's reminding them that the Feast of Unleavened Bread that followed straight on after Passover, they took leaven out of their bread. And he said, get rid of the leaven because Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed. There was Paul and he knew that Christ, this one sacrificed on the cross, was the fulfillment of the Passover. In Ephesians chapter 1 Paul writes, and in him we have redemption through his blood. That's what God had done for his people. He had redeemed them, he'd bought them with a price, brought them to himself, carried them on eagle's wings to use the language of Exodus. And he'd done that by blood and it was by the blood of the animals, by the blood of the lambs that were slaughtered in the homes. The deliverance from God by God was through the blood of the Lamb. And Paul sees all this coming together and he says, we have redemption through his blood. Redemption from the wrath of God, by God himself, through God in the flesh, who gives his life for us. According to Luke's account, as he um, gives us, similar to what is here for us in Mark, he inserts the word new covenant when he speaks of the blood. Here it's just the reference to the covenant. The the people of Israel loved the covenants that God had made with them. And when God makes a covenant, he stands by it even if his people do not. And here was the Lord saying, as we've uh, read it together, he says, where is it, verse 24, this is my blood of the covenant. They would have immediately gone back to the time when the people had gathered at Mount Sinai and the blood of the covenant had secured them as God's people or signified them as God's people and the law and so on. And they would have remembered that. And they would have remembered the blood around their doorposts as well, God entering into an agreement with his people, an agreement of love. And here the Lord says, this cup is of the covenant. And when Luke records it, he says it's a new covenant. There's a newness to this. 
It's not just a repeat of what had happened before. It's the greater fulfillment of what had happened before. It's bringing in what Jeremiah was told to speak to the people. In Jeremiah 31 verse 31. He says I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And they've yet to step into the blessings of that. But we do step into the new covenant blessings because of what Christ has done. So he introduces something that is new, that we would remember him and the greater deliverance of God. We would remember him and God's deliverance. He says, take ye, this is my body. This is my blood of the covenant poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The greatest need of every human being is the forgiveness of their sins. And he says, my life poured out, which is what the blood signifies. The life given is the means of that forgiveness. And notice, as we've read, he says, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it with you new in the kingdom. And my father's kingdom or the kingdom of God is it referred elsewhere. I think for the Jews and for the disciples then and also for us we we see that as pointing forward to the time when the Lord has said and here's a guarantee for us that he is coming back and he will rule on this earth and he will be the great king over this earth for a thousand years and he will share then in the fruit of the vine with those who are his what a glorious thing not just for a thousand years but then on into eternity in the new heavens and the new earth encapsulated in that little phrase where he says, I'll drink it again with you, is the guarantee that what he was going to go through was not the end, but actually it was the beginning in many ways for them. Maybe the messianic banquet is some people refer to it, and you can read about it in Revelation chapter 19 in your own time. Go and find it there, verses 7 through to 10. The description of of a banquet that Christ has with the people who are his. When you come to John's account of what happens this night, um, his focus is different. His focus is on more the actions of the Lord and on the teaching of the Lord. He doesn't even reference the sharing in the bread and the sharing in the cup. I think there's a reason for that because John was writing right at the end of the first century probably somewhere between 95 and 100 AD, AD 95 to 100. I would suggest this to you. The weekly remembering feast of the disciples was so much a part of their every week experience that he didn't need to tell them about that. His gospel was really addressed to believers to remind them of who Jesus was and for them not to be swayed by the erroneous teaching that was coming in. So instead he focuses on the things that Jesus taught and some things that Jesus did so that they would be convinced of of who this Jesus is. I think that's the reason why we don't get any reference to the bread and to the cup in John. Instead, he tells us what the others don't, that Jesus gets up, up from the table takes off his outer garment, wraps himself in a towel and goes round and washes their feet because nobody else would do it. And there was nobody there that was nominated to do the task. He says, as I've done for you, you do for each other. Taking the lowest place for the benefit of others. He then taught them about their love for one another being the means of 
God's love being seen in this world. He spoke to them about his personal return. He spoke to them about him being the very revelation of God the Father. He spoke to them about the coming and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He spoke to them about disciples being fruitful people in their lives for God. And then we have in John chapter 17 the record of his prayer to his father for his little group that was still with him because Judas by this point has gone out. The 11 that were left. And then that prayer extends to all who would believe in his name. So there's so much in what happens this night. You know the gospel accounts and this one that we've read from Mark is not the earliest reference to the Lord's Supper. So we need to go to 1 Corinthians for that please and we're going to focus in now because we don't have time to get into all of the teaching that was covered in, in those four to five chapters in John um, we need to focus in on the preciousness of the symbols that are the bread and the cup I want us to spend some time on that 1 Corinthians 10 um, verse 14 Paul's letter to Corinth is really one um, thing of correction after another. There's this problem, address it. There's this problem, address it. There's this problem, address it. It goes on and on like that. Verse 14 of 1 Corinthians 10, he says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise people. You then judge what I say. Is the cup of blessing which we bless not a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is the bread which we break not a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. Look at the people of Israel. Are those who eat the sacrifices not partners in the altar? What do I mean then? That food sacrificed to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No. But I say that things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to become partners with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? We are not stronger than he, are we? You know, when God was a jealous God for his people, and he's described as a jealous God, he went out in judgment against them because they did not give him the respect and honor that was due to his name. And Paul has a warning here. And this is the earliest reference in the scriptures that we have to the sharing in the cup and in the bread. And Paul is saying to them, look, you're not to be associated with things, particularly idol worship in temples. You're not to go there because in participating in the table, notice it's a table, it's feasting was associated with idol worship as well. The drinking of multiple cups of wine. I think that's why Paul focuses on the, the cup first. Because that's what they would have been going to do. Participating in that at the same time as this. You can't do it. You can't participate in the table of demons. And the table of the Lord. Listen to the description that he has. For the gathering of the people of God. In churches of God when they come together. He says it's the Lord's table. It's the Lord's supper as well. It's a sharing. The word there is kunania. It's that word for fellowship. It's a sharing in the blood of Christ. It's a sharing in the body when we partake of the bread together. It was a weekly remembrance meal that Paul's referring to, celebrated by the disciples. Pliny the Younger, if I've pronounced his name right, he wrote a letter to the Emperor Trajan that said this, they, the Christians, 
were in the habit of meeting on a certain fixed day before it was light, when they sang in alternate verses a hymn to Christ as to a God, and to partake of food, but food of an ordinary and innocent kind. There's a testimony outside of Scripture to point to a regular fixed day of the week when they would gather to do something for Christ, whom they regarded as God. We know him as our God. And here we have Paul saying to them, don't treat this with anything less than absolute honour. And don't fraternise with something that means that you're bringing something to the table where God is a, and a jealous God will come and he will do something against you. Just a weekly gathering to remember. Just mention these in passing Acts 20 verse 7. It says that when Paul came to Troas on the first day of the week when we were gathered to break bread. It seems as though Paul waited until that was the designated day for it. Alongside that 1 Corinthians 16 verse 2 when Paul later to the church says on the first day of every week each of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper. It seems to be a reference to a weekly gathering of the church came together to remember and to engage in their service of worship for God. And we do the same thing today, do we not? That's what we're called to. And they gathered, verse 21, to the Lord's table. It belongs to the Lord. Many people simply refer to it as the Father's table, but we don't get that in Scripture. It's the Lord's table. And those who come to that table honour Christ as Lord and therefore will do all that he has said. God through Christ does command us to do certain things. The first command is to believe that he is the Christ, the saviour provided by God. The command then to be baptised and implied in what we get in the New Testament is the command to be added because it's a work of God that is recognised to be joined with a local church of God and to then participate in the command where Jesus says, do this to remember me. That's what it takes to come and to participate because it's the Lord's table. We're declaring he's the Lord and Lord, I will do what you have said so that I may come and sit with you at the table. I remember Judas, his hand was on the table, but he went out. Paul's warning here in 1 Corinthians 10, you don't do anything that would in any way spoil what is so precious, a time of sharing, of fellowship with one another and a time of fellowship and sharing with God as we share in the cup and we share in the bread, sharing in the death and the body of the Lord. Verse 16 is the cup of blessing which we bless, not a sharing in the blood of Christ. Is the bread which we break not a sharing in the body of Christ? Here's the words, kunonea, for sharing and for fellowship. As we take these things, we're coming into something that is so very precious to God and to Christ, to the Spirit indwelling us, that we don't come to it lightly. I want us to go over to chapter 11 now, because Paul isn't done there. The reason I'm saying uh, the letter to uh, church in Corinth is the earliest writing. It was probably written around AD 45, not 45, AD 54 to 55, 
Whereas Mark's gospel, probably the earliest of the gospels, was about 10 years later than that. So this is the earliest reference. And it's to a church, and it's a church that's in a bit of a state. But Paul shows us what is so important. And he's gone at it here in verse 10. The cup of blessing that we bless. He's remembering that the Lord would have taken one of the cups as part of the Passover feast. And he would have then introduced the new thing. This is now the cup of the covenant, the new covenant in my blood. The old is fulfilled in him. But now here's the new thing and you remember this on a weekly basis. Go to chapter 11 and uh, verse 17. Again, he has to address a problem with them. Now, in giving you this next instruction, I do not praise you because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you. And in part, I believe it. For there also have to be factions among you so that those who are proved may become evident among you. Therefore, when you come together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. They got to the stage where what they were doing wasn't the Lord's Supper. For when you eat, each one takes his own supper first and one goes hungry while another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What am I to say to you? Shall I praise you? In this I do not praise you. And then here it comes. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks he broke it and said. This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he also took the cup after supper. Saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. In remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy way. Shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a person must examine himself. And in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For the one who eats and drinks. Eats and drinks judgment to himself. If he does not properly recognize the body. For this reason. Many among you are weak and sick and a number are asleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. It's a warning, but in the middle of it all are those texts that we take hold of week by week as we come and we share in the bread and we share in the cup, remembering the Lord's words. Paul says, I received it from the Lord. I don't believe that means that he got this as a special revelation from the Lord. I think this was something that was passed down from the Lord to the apostles who were with him that night and they passed it on to the others. And this tradition, tradition's good. And when the tradition is passed on, it's passed on and it's made its way to the Lord. I receive, it ultimately came from the Lord, what I've passed on to you. And Church of God in Corinth, get back to it. We couldn't imagine, I don't think, getting into the condition that Corinth was in. But sin is pernicious and can come in. But here is Paul's reminder to them and to us of the preciousness of what we're engaged in. Notice that he says, I received from the Lord, verse 23, that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed. You know, the word there is delivered. It's the same word as is earlier in the verse. It means to be handed over. I wonder if we should think of the Lord here as being handed over, not just by the betrayer, but also handed over by our God Romans 4 verse 25 he who was delivered over because of our wrongdoings and was raised because of our justification Romans 8 verse 32 
He, God, who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, will he not also, along with him, freely give us all things? Paul saying, on the night that the Lord was delivered over, he said this, as Christ is being delivered over to death to secure the salvation for all of those who will put their faith in him, whom God has set his love on from all of eternity, he has in mind something for them to remember him by, the sharing in the bread and in the sharing of the cup, proclaiming his death until he comes. And then Paul's warning is, let's not be guilty of the body and the blood, of coming casually uh, to what it is that we participate in as those that are obedient to the Lordship of Christ. We come and we engage in the sharing, the fellowship, as we share in the bread and as we share in the cup, we're remembering the incarnation of the Lord, his incarnation so that he might be the saviour. And then the, the, the body is given so that he, as Peter says, he would bear our sins in his body on the cross. And in the blood that is symbolised by the cup of wine, it's, it's given to us. So we remember the life that's poured out for us there. The means of our salvation as guilty sinners. We needed the blood. The redemption that comes only by his blood. Let's not ever be guilty of eating and drinking judgment on ourselves because we treat it casually. For this reason, he says, some are weak and sick and some are asleep. Some have died. Here's the jealous God who has come among his people in discipline and he's taken some out because of their mistreatment of the Lord's table and they're not discerning and thinking through what it is that they're participating in. Isn't it a wonderful joy to come every week and to come and to share in the bread and the cup? A reminder to us that it is through Christ that we're able to approach God at all. And he brings us into his presence so that we then might offer up, as 1 Peter 2 tells us, spiritual sacrifices of praise acceptable to him through Christ Jesus. And we do that spiritually. It's a spiritual reality, but it's a physical thing that we've done this morning here. It is a physical thing that the Lord has given us that we would remember him by. But it brings us into the spiritual reality that God wants for his people that is to be in his presence and to worship him for all that he has done. What a wonderful reminder week by week. And boy, do we need it. We do. Because so quickly the things come in that take us away from it. What happens when we share in the bread and in the cup? Just very quickly on this. It's not transubstantiation. Um, some hold that view. That the elements are actually transformed. Become the body. The literal body. And the literal blood of the Lord. Trans means to change. It's not that. In so doing. Those who hold to that say. That Christ is again sacrificed. And we see from God's word, Romans 6 verse 10, the death he died, he died for sin once for all time. Hebrews 10 and 10, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. 1 Peter 3 verse 18, Christ also suffered once for sins for all time. It's not a repeating of it. There's no mystical change in the elements. They're symbols for us to remember him by. A trigger for the mind and it's not consubstantiation if you heard of that one 
you come across it in writings out there and sometimes in conversation with, with believers. Consubstantiation, con meaning with, alongside. Some would take that the symbols, while they're still physical, at the same time, there, there is this, um, the presence of the body of Christ and the blood. We don't hold to that because we don't see it in Scripture. It's taking what's there far too far. Instead, we're seeing these as what the Lord intended them to be. You do this to remember me. They're means of triggering the mind and the heart that we're reminded about God's incarnation to be our saviour and his sacrifice to bring us into God's presence. That's what we do. 1 Peter 2 verses 4 and 5 just to finish. It says, And as we come to him as to a living stone which has been rejected by people but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We become that and we start with the symbols, the sharing in what Christ has done because we are in union with Christ and he has brought us into all of the blessings and weekly we remember it and it doesn't get old, does it? And it brings us into our worship in the heavenlies where spiritually we give to God what is due to his name that glorifies the person of the Lord Jesus and honours the work of the Spirit. We give glory to God in all that we do when we gather. Let's pray.